Om Sam Saraswati Namaha Namaste. Uh, this is a book, it says the first edition was published in 1991, and I'll bet you I wrote it a number of years before then. Uh, so this is a little piece of antiquity in the history of the Devi Mandir. The, the worship of the Divine Mother in our tradition centers on a trilogy of books. Uh, we've learned, in, I'm so excited that Srima participated in our Tatwagan classes, and she got so excited about listening to the philosophy of Sanatana Dharma that she wanted to do Devi Gita next. Because we learned that there are three components within every mantra. There is mantra, yantra, and tantra. Mantra, that which is an intuitive experience, it actually takes away your mind. It takes away all the thoughts, you blow your mind. Yantra is the tool, and it's like every other tool. You use it to open up your cranium, take out all the thoughts, understand what you're doing, what's useful, get criteria by which to discriminate. What do I want to save, and what do I want to discard? And Tantra is the practical application. What do you do? Now, there are three books in the Devi Mandir trilogy of the hierarchy of the worship of the Divine Mother. Devi Mandir is the goddess temple. It's the temple of the Divine Mother. And the, the trilogy is Chandi is the mantra, the intuitive experience. You sit down in one asana, you practice asana, pranayama, dharana, pratyahara. You bring your senses to a state of focus, you get into the bhavana, you watch the drama of all of these asuras, all of that duality, meeting its demise at the hands of the Divine Mother. She is the energy in everything and all and she will remove the energy from the Asuras, give it to the gods, the shining ones, we will be filled with illumination, and thereby we get to gain our, uh, our rightful heritage as citizens of heaven. Uh, we get to go back to heaven and sit on the throne of the gods. Okay. Pretty cool. That's Chandi, the mantra, the intuitive experience. Yantra is the Devi Gita. She's going to tell us, how do you do this? Why do you do this? Why is it desirable? Why should you strive? How do you strive? What practices will be appropriate by which you can strive? And then the third in the series is the cosmic puja called Shamashti Upashana. I'm worshiping everything and all in the universe. Shamashti, I'm not, it's, it's contrasted with Vyasti when Vyasti is an individual. I'm going to only worship Vishnu. Sri Krishna is the supreme personality of the Godhead and all ever, everybody else is something inferior. Shamashti says, hey, there's this cosmic, universal, ethereal, it goes beyond this plane of existence, it goes to every plane, Bhur, Bhuvashwa, Mahajanhantabhat, Satyam. 
I'm going to worship that on every level. Call it whatever you like. And we'll call it Divine Mother. So those are the three books. And Three Ma just got into the philosophy this last week and said, all right, let's go for it while we're on a roll. This is exciting. And I said, well, we should do Lakshmi Puja. She said, no, no, Lakshmi Puja. Uh, you, you do that on your own. Uh, we're going to all study the Devi Gita. Now, Gita is a song, song of the goddess, the goddess song, the song of the harmony which brings the mantra, yantra, and tantra, the intuitive experience, the intellectual explanation, and the practical application. Mantra, yantra, tantra. The intuitive experience. Mantra, mantrayate. The intellectual explanation, the tool, the yantra. And the practical application, the tantra. It brings the three into the harmony of the song, and this is a really a neat song. So with that introduction, I'm going to start with the introduction that I wrote probably in maybe 1991. <laughs> but there, it probably comes from an introduction that was started probably in the early 80s or late 70s. Somewhere around that. This is from that period of my history. So if I retranslate things, you know, the translations are going to grow. They're going to, we talked about the Vachart and the Bhava Art and the Sampradaya Art and the various levels of meaning, Swadhyaya Art, according to the Bhavana and the level of proficiency of the Sadhu, the terms take on different meanings, connotations, explanations, amplifications, and you've got quite an amplifier in this Sadhu. So, uh, with that understanding, if I give you current understanding of the current explanations, you'll be, uh, maybe you, we can enhance and embellish the meaning of the text as it applies to our lives. With that understanding, let us begin the introduction. Tarakashura is the illuminator of duality. He performed a severe tapasya, a great penance. And then Brahma came to him and said, what boon do you desire? Choose from me some boon and I will grant you your desire. And Tara, Tarism is a star. And she's the star that illuminates the heavens. But she's also the star that reflects the light. Huh? So when the sun comes and it bounces around the heavens, it bounces off the moon, it hits the stars, it, it, it radiates light, and Tara is the illuminator, and she is also the manifestation of illumination. So she is both the illuminator of duality and the manifestation of the illumination of duality. And Tarak Ashur, he was the, uh, the Ashur, he, he was, he's the duality that Tara is illuminating. And Tarak Ashur, he did this to Pasha, he said, Brahma, uh, I, I want a boon. And Brahma said, what do you want? And Tarak Ashur said, I want to be immortal, I want that I will never die. I mean, look at it, when you look at all around 
the creation, the most fearful thing is what we don't know. In fact, we only fear what we don't know. If you know what's happening, then you don't, you're not afraid. Uh, so, uh, we had two great explanations for fear. F-E-A-R. Forget everything and run. Explanation number one. F-E-A-R. Forget everything and rise. So you can look at fear in two ways. <laughs> rise, my friends. So anyway, we can look at fear in two ways in Tarakashura and many others too. They say, I don't know what happens when you die. So I don't want to die. Because it seems to me that death is the end. And I don't want it to end, because I don't know what that means, the end. Every time I saw those words, it meant, stop. Now what? And that's why I fear, and I'm going to forget everything and run. Uh, so Tarakashur said, I want to be immortal. I wish that I will never die. And Brahma replied, that's impossible. <laughs> Sorry, guy. <laughs> doesn't work that way. Nothing can remain for everything. Everything born must die at some time or other. Please choose another boon. And Tarakashura thought for a moment and then he said, Well, if I have to die, then I want my death to occur only at the hands of the son of Shiva. I mean, Sati Devi had just left her body. She, Shiva didn't have a wife, let alone a son, let alone an avenue through which to get a son. I mean, he'd have to get married. He'd have to. Sati would have to take birth again. Then she'd have to get romantic. She'd have to have Kamathur. And then she, after she got that kind of feeling that kind of emotional attachment, then she would have to have a, a child, and then they'd have to raise the child, and believe me, that's going to be a long, long process, if at all. So uh, Tarakashur said, I want my death only to occur at the hands of the son of Shiva, and Brahma immediately said, Tatastu, I will give you that boon. So Tarakashur, the illuminator of duality conquered the entire earth and made everyone on earth servants of the illuminator of duality. Uh, it's just like it is, it, no one can do anything without saying, I am the doer. And I'm doing this for myself. <laughs> and look at the duality upon which I'm doing it. I am doing it to you. And I get the benefit. So everyone became servants of duality. Servants of the illuminator of duality. And he made everyone on earth servants of the illuminator of duality. And then he marched straight up to the heavens. He sat down on the throne of Indra. And he threw all the gods and goddesses out of heaven. And became lord of the three worlds. And then he ordered, I want 
everyone to serve the illuminator of duality. No one will worship the gods. No one will waste any time meditating. Just serve me. I will be the only one worshipped in the three worlds. <laughs> How much fun. <laughs> you don't need to meditate. You don't need to stand on your head. You can't contemplate. Don't think of anything divine. Don't think of any gods. Don't think of any goddesses. No one will save you but me. And look what happened to the world. Everyone started getting up in the morning and I got to, I'm late for work. Who has time to worship? I've got to go. And they grab a few bites of breakfast and rush out the door. And if they think of God, oh, Vishnu, oh, God, why is this happening to me? When will I ever get free? I don't want to work. That's why they call it a job. Because I have to go there. Please save me, Lord. Save me. No one, don't waste time meditating. Just serve me. I will be the only one worshipped in the three worlds. All day long we go out into the world and we go, and we're fighting with everyone, striving with everyone, and struggling for preeminence and, and looking for status in the eyes of our fellow workers and in the eyes of society. And we're trying to climb the ladder and be important. I'm important. I illuminate duality. <laughs> At this news, the gods became extremely depressed. And in that dejected state, they asked one another, what are we going to do about this? We need the son of Shiva in order to get rid of this wicked Ashura. All of this is overwhelming. How are we going to combat such a state of affairs. Okay, guys, let's get together and figure this out. Uh, and then the gods and Brahmins and Rishis and Munis, uh, they all went to the Devi Mandir in the Himalayas and began to perform various forms of tapasya to request the Divine Mother to make her presence manifest. And they recited hymns to the goddess and they sang stories of her manifestations, and they performed the fire sacrifices, and did yoga asanas, and pranayam, and mudras, and kriyas, and japa, and tapa, and in every way they invoked the Divine Mother. Every way we could think of. <laughs> hey, I don't care if I got to stand on my head. I want her to come. Ihagacha. <laughs> And when they lost themselves in the ecstasy of divine devotion, Mother came to them in the form of Shrima. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> I know the guy who wrote this book. And she spoke to them and said, hey guys. She said, what is it that you want? Hey, what are your goals? What's your process? What are you doing all this sadhana about? What's this all? What, what do you want from your lives? Yam is the first step in the process of Ashtanga Yoga. It means take control, define the goal, define the path, de define what this is all about. What is it that you want? 
And we got together and said, Oh, Mother, Tarek Ashur, the illuminator of duality, has won the boon that only the son of Shiva can destroy him. With the strength of this boon, he has been working evil on the earth, no doubt, and has made everyone a servant of duality. And therefore, we want you to come and manifest yourself in an embodied form. <coughs> please come and take birth in a body. And please, Mother, marry with Shiva again and give us the son that will lead the armies of divinity to be victorious in battle. Kartike. Shkamma. Subramanyam. He's got lots of names. Mother said, I accept, and I will try to fulfill your wish. Eva Mastu, I give you the boom. I'm going to take birth in the home of my parents, and I'm going to go to across the Himalayas, and then I'll go to America and establish the Devi Mandir, and from there, I am going to give you the son who will destroy the illuminator of duality. And I'll take birth in the home of Himalayas, and I will do tapasya in order to secure Shiva's blessings. And if he wills, <coughs> I will marry with him. And when Shiva will accept me as his wife, we will bring forth the sons that will lead the armies of divinity to become victorious in battle. Uh, hearing this news, Himalaya began to cry. <laughs> Mother, what have I possibly done to deserve the honor of having you take birth in my home? Can you imagine the honor of becoming the father of the Divine Mother? I mean, that's a big post, big position. I mean, that's not for a guy who just sits on the chair. That's for a guy who has a, a dynamic role in the nurturing of the Divine Mother. I don't know what I've done to deserve this honor, but how should I act when I become the father of the Divine Mother? How should all of us act when we become fathers to the Divine Mother? How, how shall my home be when the Divine Mother takes birth within? What shall be my tapasya? How do you define tapasya? If you're father of the Divine Mother, what do, you, what do you have to do? To purify yourself and purify your speech and purify your actions and purify your home and make an environment conducive to the nurturing of the Divine Mother. What shall be my tapasya? What shall be my way of life? What shall be my words? What shall be my actions? How shall I regard you? How shall I serve you? How can I love you purely so that your mission can be fulfilled? And please explain this to me. And with these questions of Himalaya, the teachings of the Devi Gita begin. Pretty important subject. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's why Srima said, let's study this one next. Hey guys, what do you want to do when you become the father of the Divine Mother? What kind of life should you live? You go to work all day, you come home and pop a cold one and put your feet up and turn on the boob tube? Or do you tune in to the Davy Munder website and look and see what Srima is telling us to do next? How do you become father of the Divine Mother? Gita. Yeah, you know, Ramakrishna used to say, if you say Gita, 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 you become taggy. So Gita means a song and Tagi means a renunciate. And just try it yourselves. Gita, 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 Tagi. <laughs> so the Gita becomes Tagi. And they're both right. If you learn the song, if you learn the Bhav, if you learn the way that Himalayas learn from the Divine Mother the answer to his questions, you become Tagi. Gita means a song, Devi is the goddess, the song of the Divine Mother Goddess. The Devi Gita is comprised of 12 chapters included within the seventh skanda, or the seventh book of the Srimad Devi Bhagavatam, from chapters 29 to 40, and it teaches a doctrine of holistic spirituality. It doesn't teach us about Gyashti Upashti. It teaches about samashti upashna. How do you make everything that we do into an expression of our love for God? That's what it's all about. And it's going to give us special techniques, bhakti techniques, to be included in the samasti upashna. So it, it teaches about holistic spirituality because you can't have spiritual which is confining. You can't have a spiritual community with gates and bars and fences and barriers and boundaries that encloses and encapsulates us. We want to tear down the bar boundaries because it, spiritual is metaphysical. It's not just about enclosing ourselves in the physical. It's beyond the physical. So it's holistic spirituality. All of the various philosophies are links in the chain to higher understanding. We saw that in Tathlagan. Charbok, Nyaya, Goisheshika, Shankya, Yoga, Purvahimansha, Uttarimansha. Seven steps of philosophy. Uh, there are links in the chain to the higher understanding where ultimately we became one with the one. All the forms of yoga are united in union with the Supreme. There is no Ashtanga yoga in Samadhi. <laughs> Ashtanga yoga brought us to Samadhi. When you get to Samadhi, it, Ramakrishna said, you, if you step on a thorn, you take another thorn and you dig out the thorn that got embedded in your foot and when you're done, you throw them both away. In the same way, all the forms of yoga are united in union with the Supreme. 
Without wisdom, one cannot produce right actions. Without oh, 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 devotion, one cannot meditate. All the yogas, all the wisdom, all the paths comprise a harmony of divine insight. That's what this song of the goddess is about. Holistic spirituality. Devi Gita teaches both the worship of the deity with form and the meditation on the cosmic divinity beyond form and knowledge. It is a compendium of spiritual disciplines, constantly weaving like the tantra, the warp and the woof, its tapestry of harmony, so that all actions in life become expressions of a longing for the highest attainment. Everything we do. Respect your actions. That's puja. Whether you're chopping wood or carrying water, sorry, Papia, <laughs> or you're washing dishes at the kitchen sink. <laughs> It's all part of the puja. It's all an expression of the longing for the highest attainment. We are seeking perfection through action. We are seeking liberation through action. We are not seeking liberation from action. <laughs> Only two possibilities exist in any translation that the translator is true to the original or true to the translation. I mean, either, you either do the Sanskrit or you do the English. <laughs> uh, either the Sanskrit will be faithfully and correctly reported or the English. Uh, I have chosen the Sanskrit. <laughs> because I am a hopeful that this work will have greater usage for sincere students who, in addition to learning the philosophy of the goddess, are also interested in studying her native language. You may want to study the Sanskrit by matching up the English with the Sanskrit. It is my opinion that the more we love someone or something, the greater is our desire to learn about it. And that is, devotion can never be separated from wisdom. You can't. You can't take the devotion out of the wisdom. What is the wisdom? To be constantly devoted. Focus your attention with greatest of love. That's wisdom. Bhakti Sabhawai. All the rest is bhakwas. Nonsense. So, in addition to learning the philosophy of the goddess, you may be interested in studying her native language. That is, devotion can never be separated from wisdom. This is clearly indicated in the present text as well. As we fall deeper and deeper in love with the Divine Mother Goddess, it becomes more and more important for us to study her native language. And for this reason, in some places in the translation of this text, the English may say, seem a little clumsy, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> Excuse me. I want to go on record as saying that this is not solely because I am completely Ill illiterate and don't know proper English syntax. This is before 1991, you realize. But rather that I may be excused, for this attempt is to follow as closely as possible the word order from the original Sanskrit. 
The reader will thus find verses beginning with long prepositional phrases and others with the subject and especially the verb coming at the end of the sentence. Just happens that way in Sanskrit. Please excuse this cumbersome technique, but it's my hope that students of Sanskrit can use this as a critical grammar text and maybe even learn to chant the original Sanskrit with understanding in addition to its tremendous importance as an exposition of the philosophy of the goddess. And I would like to acknowledge Loving Seva by Swami Vitalananda and Tanardanananda and excellent suggestions by Klaus and the entire Devi Mandir family, especially I bow to Srima, who provided the inspiration for this and other spiritual endeavors which allow me to make a contribution to mankind's expression of the ultimate love for God. I hope that this work will be finished in such a way as to make you all proud of your contributions, as I am proud to have such friends and associates as yourselves. Namaste to you all. Swami Satyananda Saraswati Devi Mandir, 1991. And I promise you that came from the mid-80s, probably the early 80s. Uh, that was uh, from uh, Rishikesh, I think. Well, let's, well, 6.30, yeah, let's go ahead and we'll, we'll start the, 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 the uh, we'll start the first mantra. Sriman Mahaganadipataye Namaha. Oh, we bow to the respected great Lord of Wisdom. We bow to Lakshmi and Narai and the goal of all existence and the perceiver of all. We bow to Uma and Maheshwara who protects existence and the great consciousness or seer of all. We bow to Vani and Hiranyagarbha, Sharaswati and Brahma who create the cosmic existence. We bow to Sachi and Parandar. Indra and his wife who preside over all that is divine, not the Indra you see on TV in all the serial comedies that they're projecting this foolish oaf who is constantly jealous and thinking only of his own self. No, we're talking about Indra who rules the Indriyas. He was the Das Indriya. He has five organs of knowledge and five organs of action and he allows us to come inside and rule over heaven. We bow to the mothers and the fathers. We did that in the 60s too. We had the mamas and the papas. We bow to the chosen deity of worship. We bow to the family deity of worship. We bow to the village deity of worship. We bow to the particular household deity of worship. We bow to the established deity of worship. We bow to all the gods. We bow to all the goddesses. We bow to all the knowers of divinity. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you for allowing us to sit here in your temple. Pranam. Bearing in her ten hands, that's Mahakali, the sword of worship. The discus of revolving time, the club of articulation. Every time you speak a mantra, you hit one of those oshuras over the head. 
The bowl of determination, you've got a sankalpa, you know where you're going, you've got a goal, you've got a definition, you've got the bow, you've got the arrow in the bow, the, the iron bar of restraint, the pike of attention, the sling, uh, or the net of unity, uh, the head of egotism, and the conch of vibrations. She has three eyes on ten heads, that's thirty eyes, do the math please, and displays ornaments on all her limbs shining like a blue gem. She has ten faces and feet. I worship that great remover of darkness. Mahakali. Remember, Kal means darkness, and Kali takes away all the darkness. And Kal means time, and Kali is she who is beyond time. I bow to that. I worship that great remover of darkness whom the lotus-born creative capacity praised in order to slay too much and too little when the supreme consciousness was in sleep. Remember in chapter 1, uh, Vishnu was sleeping. Too much and too little came out of his ears, out of the dirt of his ears. Think of all the crazy things you think about because of what you've heard. Out of the dirt of Vishnu's ears came too much and too little. They said, hey, you don't have enough. Go get some more. You got too much. Get rid of some. Um, Brahma was sitting in the lotus in the navel of Vishnu, and he, he saw too much and too little coming to attack and stifle his creative capacity. And he said, Vishnu, wake up. I can't fight with these guys. I mean, they're, they're fighters. I'm an old man. <laughs> I've been sitting in a computer terminal the last 20 years. What do, what do you expect from me? I'm going to wrestle with these guys myself. Wake up, Vishnu! Vishnu was... <sighs> he was sawing some real serious Z's there. And he was in deep slumber. In fact, we called it Yoga Nidra. He was in the sleep of mystical union. He was just not present. And so Brahma sang a hymn of praise to Mahakali and said, hey, you are the energy of everything in all. Twang swaha, twang swada, twang hi, pashatkara, swaratnika. You are the intrinsic nature of the soul of all. Wake up that sleepy head. And let him fight with those asuras. I'm an old man. I retired a long time ago. And if I didn't, I should have. And let him fight with those asuras. She with the beautiful face. The destroyer of the great ego is seated upon the lotus of peace. In her hand, she has the rosary of alphabet. She's got a, 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 a mala with an akshar mala. She's got an Akshar Mala, and she's got 54 letters of evolution, and she's got 54 letters of involution, and they go all the way around the Mala, and they come back to the Brahma bead, and the Guru bead, that says, this is the origin, this is the origin and terminus of your journey. Those letters stand for the, all the vibrations which can come into manifestation, all the roots, all the forms that can be expressed by a nam, which have a name, and those names start with a letter, and those letters are on my mala. So I wear, or she wears, all of creation, all the vibrations of creation as an ornament upon her neck. 
and the battle axe of good actions, the club of articulation, hit those asuras over the head with your mantras, the arrow of speech, the thunderbolt of illumination, the lotus of peace, the bow of determination, the water pot of purification, the staff of discipline, energy, the sword of worship, the shield of faith, the conch of vibrations, the bell of continuous tone, the wine cup of joy, the pike of concentration, the net of unity, and the discus of revolving time named excellent intuitive vision. Just think what that discus, that chakra is called. His name, the chakra's name is excellent intuitive vision. That is the revolutions of time, the revolutions, uh, uh, they bring about sudarshan, that excellent intuitive vision. Not just seeing, uh, now, Sudrishti, Sudarshan. Darshan is a little bit from dish, Drishti. Yeah, Drishti, you see something. Darshan, you perceive something. You grok it. You inhale its presence. The, 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 conch, the discus is called excellent intuitive vision. I worship that great goddess of true wealth. Mahalakshmi. That luxury, that goal, that she is, what your goal is, is what you value. And what you value is what you think about. What you think about is your wealth. And that sense, she is the great goddess of true wealth. I worship that Mahalakshmi, the great goddess of true wealth. Bearing in her lotus hands the bell of continuous tone, the pike of concentration, the plow sowing the seeds of dharma, the way of truth to wisdom, the ideals of perfection, the plow, the, the concha vibrations, the pestle of refinement, the discus of revolving time, the bow of determination, and the arrow of speech, whose radiance is like the moon in autumn whose appearance is most beautiful, who is manifested from the body of she who is rays of light and is the support of the three worlds, that great goddess of all-pervading knowledge who destroyed self-conceit and other thoughts, I worship. Hmm. Yep. <laughs> I do worship her with all of those attributes. That Chandi, <laughs> who slays the negativities of too much and too little and other thoughts, who is the destroyer of the great ego, who is the vanquisher of sinful eyes, passion and anger, and the seed of desire, the energy which tears asunder self-conceit and self-deprecation, the grantor of the highest attainment of perfection, that Chandi, May that goddess, who is represented by 90 million divine images, she has 90 million murthies. Well, at that time, you, you know, there were tier, tier three scroll data. And we called it 90 million at, in the old days. 90 million is a lot. And then it became tier three scroll was. Uh, Encore is 10 million, so 33 
times 10 million. There'll be 330 million. Is that right? It's more than the population of America. So, I mean, they had a lot. They had a lot of Murthys. These were all uh, sums which said, we can't count. <laughs> Don't even bother to try. It's an infinite number. It's a number so humongous, you'll never get there. It's like having this great big bag of mustard seeds. I mean, how many seeds were in this bag? Now fill up the bag full of mustard seeds, a little teeny weeny, tiny, tiny, almost like kalkasht. There's a little tiny baby mustard seeds. And say there's a little hole in the bag, and the mustard seeds start falling down on the ground. Now, we are dutiful devotees. So we pick up each mustard seed, one by one, and put them. Can't pick up a handful, you gotta pick them one by one, and poke them back into the bag. And then we get all the mustard seeds back in the bag, and we lift up the bag, and oh, there's another hole. <laughs> That's what Tirtris Kroor, Murti, meant. I can't count that high. Don't even bother. So she is represented by 33 million or 90 million divine images. The Supreme Lord of the universe remain close and protect me. Please, that's my prayer. Mm -hmm. That's my meditation. Om Sam Saraswati Namah. Before we start making arati and offering lamps and incense and camphor and, and all, the good, all the goodies from the Garden of Delight, let's see if there are any questions tonight. And we'll continue from here in our next session. Yes, please. Could you talk more about Tara? Because we also know that Brihaspati is married to Tara, and there's, uh, there's other references to Tara in other religions. Is this all the same entity, or what is the different applications of Tara? Well, Tara, of course, she was married to Brihaspati, who was the intellect. He was the guru of the gods. And after a while, being with the guru of the gods, she said, I'm a little bored here. <laughs> this is, I, I'm sitting around with this intellectual guy all the time. He's got no Ross. He's just a plain, old, dusty, boring intellect. He's an armchair philosopher like some guy I know in Napa. He just sits around and talks, uh, pontificates about philosophy, and it gets dry and boring. She said, uh, husband, I'm going to be out for a little bit. <laughs> and she took a little trip, and she started roaming around the heavens, and she got to Chandra's house. She said, wow, that guy's got the juice. <laughs> and she moved in. And Brihaspati, the intellect, said, hey, you, you can't move in with Chandra. He's full of devotion and full of love and full of juice and full of life. You can't go stay there. You're married to me. Uh, Chandra came out and said, uh, she'll, she'll go home when she wants to go home. She's a guest in my house. I'm not kicking her out of the house to go back to you. If she wants to go to you, she'll go to you. If she wants to stay with me, my door is open. Well, this led to war. 
Brihaspati, the intellect, went to Indra and said, hey, it's not right that, that Brihaspati, that the intellect is keeping my illuminator. She's, she's being kept in Chandra's house. She's illuminating devotion instead of the intellect. And Indra said, Chandra, send Tara home. She should illuminate her husband, Brihaspati. And Chandra said, let him give her a little more ross and she'll want to go home. <laughs> Why make her go to a relationship she's not enjoying? Let her enjoy the relationship. Well, some of the gods sided with Brihaspati and some of the gods sided with Chandra and there started a fight in heaven. And ultimately Brahma came and said, what is this? We can't have fighting in heaven. <laughs> I mean, you guys are divine. You guys are gods and you're supposed to set the highest example for all of humanity. We know that Tara will illuminate whoever she is with. She, will, she, she just reflects the light. If you put an intellect beside her, she'll reflect the intellect. If you put devotion beside her, then you, she'll reflect devotion. Tara, go home. <laughs> so Brahma said Tara home. There are many references to Tara being the soul, the illumination of whatever deity she sits beside. She illuminates everyone in the heavens. And that's her goal. So that's the Tara from our tradition. She's also uh, often referenced a uh, reference of, Saras, uh, of Kali, of Mahakali. She's one of the Das Mahavidyas. She is also uh, known as the Supreme Divinity. Yes, and she's the mother of Buddha, of the intellect. Uh, but Buddha has a little more than Brihaspati. Brihaspati is Brahi intellect, and Buddha has a little of Medas in him. So, because he was Chandra's son, so Buddha became the Medas, which is different from Buddhi. The intellect love. Yes. Oh, thank you, Srima. Yes, Medas. Buddha became the Medas of the heavens. He was the intellect of love because he was actually the son of Chandra. <laughs> but he grew up in the house of Brihaspati. So he had lots of different qualities. Yes, please. We have a question from Ambika in Princeton. Namaste, Ambika. Namaste, Sham. Pranam, beloved Trimon Swamiji. I'm so happy to be back in class. Thank you. My question. Do we need to embrace our fears in order to develop the courage to move beyond them? How do we do that? Thank you. Sometimes you need to embrace and sometimes you need to forget. <laughs> and just go beyond it without a second thought. Uh, sometimes you'll look at it and analyze it and say, these are the factors that make me afraid and I can control these fears. And sometimes you'll say, hey, this is nonsense. I don't have anything to deal with here. There's nothing I can do about this. This doesn't really apply to me. And just move on. Um, that's why you explained about fear. I did. 
Daddy yeah. can follow. Yeah, we can forget everything and run. <laughs> or uh, face everything and rise. Those are the two choices we have. So, Ambika, you can either forget it all, forget everything and run, or you can face everything and rise. Those will be the two choices. Question from Elijah in Seattle. Namaste, Elijah Baba. Can the Guru be, being the source of the Akshars, be related to the Bindu in any way? Absolutely. Absolutely, in every way. The guru comes out of the, uh, of the bindu. The guru karas thwanda karas cha ru karas uchate. He is, she is, the light in our darkness. Yeah. So it's totally appropriate to understand the guru bead as the bindu. And the akshars are the vibrations which allow us to evolve in our names and forms, and then to come back to the one. We have a question from Papia in Delaware. Namaste, Papia! Why, why does the Divine Mother have to go through birth and death, first as Uma, then as Parvati, to unite with Shiva? Mm. Papia, we all do! <laughs> Every one of us, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, again and again and again, come into manifestation and go out of manifestation. The Divine Mother must evolve according to the principles of nature. Just as she is Mother Nature. How can she evolve aside or apart from the principles of nature? For example, she came into manifestation as Sati, and she went out of manifestation, and she came into manifestation as Uma, Gauri, Parvati. She has so many different forms in chapter 11 of the Chandi. She has nine different manifestations. The Murti Rahasya, she has 11 different manifestations. She has the Dasa She comes in and she goes out, and she takes different forms for all of the functions that she performs. It's not, we, ha we have all of them on that form. All of them are? Same kind of form. All of them are the same kind of form. Yeah. Yes. Changes. Yeah, okay. kind of form. Papia, you are one woman and you yeah. are mother to your daughter and daughter to your mother. You are wife to your husband and sister to your brother. You are a, a, a mother and a wife and a, 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 a friend. And you, you have so many functions and so many names. And when you go to a fancy ball, you wear a ball gown. And when you go to a tennis match, you wear a tennis suit. And when you go to a swimming party, you wear a swimsuit or a bikini. When you are a cooker, you become Annapurna. When you are a cooker, you become Annapurna. You have so many names and so many forms, and you look differently, and you talk differently, and you do differently in every one of your manifestations. Right. Right. <laughs> So, in that way, we all have to be reborn again and again and again. We are not reborn again Hindus. We are born again and again and again <laughs> Hindus. <laughs> yes, please. When we talk about the birth of the Divine Mother, was there something 
that she, did she was was she born from Himachal's wife in a normal way or was she born from the divine fire? How did that happen? Well, in this story, she is born from Himachal's wife, uh, Mainika, and she uh, it takes her birth in a natural way. Uh, however, we have uh, we also have Krishna coming out of the womb of Yashoda, uh, uh, of Devaki. And then raised by Yashoda. Uh, but we, we have other uh, uh, beings that came as divine births. So they didn't have any parent, parents, apparently. <laughs> yes, please. We have a question from Ricky in Philadelphia. Namaste! Pranam Sriman Swamiji. What is the best thing to do when we feel as though our sadhana is at a plateau or a standstill? Do more sadhana! <laughs> <laughs> Don't let it stagnate. Do more. Ricky, whenever you get to a plateau, you can only rest for a little while and then you've got to do a little bit more. And just kind of force yourself to get off your duffet and do a little bit more. Because spiritual means giving more. And we want to constantly be giving more. So anytime you get to a plateau or a, a, a stagnation or some place where you're leveling off and it's just enough for you to do, then do a little bit more. Yes, please. We have a question from Dilip. Location unknown. Uh-huh. In Florida. How do we understand the balance of the three gunas in daily life? How does worship work for me in this respect? Uh, you want to, we will put ourselves in the harmony of the three gunas in every action that we perform. So we have satta, which is being, and rajas, which is becoming, and tamas, which is rest. And we have these three attitudes uh, when you look at any individual doing any action, you could say, what is the preponderance of their uh, de dedication right now? If their attention is committed to what, uh, what goon, what attribute, what quality is pre predominant over the other two. And that will be how we use the gunas. And am I getting angry or am I speaking improperly? Then I think that I have been, I have been subdued by tamaguna. If I am projecting light and joy and wisdom and harmony, then I, am, I have sattva as my predominant gun, as my predominant quality. So I want to watch what comes out of my personality. And if it's good stuff, I want to share it. If it's not good stuff, I want to control it so it doesn't get me into more trouble. Yes, we have please. a question from Nanda in San Jose. Namaste, Nanda Ma. Should one face every fear in this life to be free in a realized soul? How does one restrict one's, how does, how does fear restrict one's sadhana? Thank you. Nandama, fear restricts us by making us think about something other than what we want to think about. I want to think about God and somebody is knocking on the door and say, well, you can't think about God. You should be thinking about something that you don't know what's going to happen because you're afraid. And don't, 
when we, we don't have to face it all, sometimes we can just face God and say, Hey God, you, Divine Mother, are the energy in everything and all, and I request you with the utmost sincerity to take the energy away from the guys knocking on the door and let me pay attention only to you. Let me forget about the guys knocking on the door, all those thoughts that want to come in and make me afraid. I can't do anything about them anyway. So I'm requesting that you, you take the energy away from those thoughts and let me think only about you. I don't have to face every thought and every fear. I can just face you. Isn't that enough? Face everything and rise. The other meaning of fear. Yes, please. The sadhana of Devi Gita, uh, we have for Chandipat, we sit in one asana and chant the 700 verses. Bhagavad Gita, we can break it up. Is there any guidance? There is guidance, and we'll get some more guidance later. We chant it as a scripture, but more importantly is we live it as a living philosophy. Devi Gita is not just a scripture that we chant in the temple. Devi Gita is a philosophy that we live in every action that we perform during life. Uh, so it's a philosophy of life and it's an attitude towards life and it's a way that we want to bring ourselves into harmony by respecting our every action so that all of life becomes the manifestation of our puja amongst which one of those manifestations is sitting down and chanting the book. Another of those is sitting there and reading each, uh, each verse, verse by verse, and getting through the whole book just by reading the verses, just by reading the translation. Another would be thinking about the goals of my life and the plans for my life, and how do I integrate this philosophy into my plan of life. There are many ways that the Devi Gita will come alive for us, weaving our sadhana as a tapestry of life. So it will be useful in many, many ways. Yes, please. We have a question from Julia. Namaste, Julia Ma. In Ma's book, Living with the Soul, she talks about other worlds and planets with other beings. Do we, after being on earth, sometimes go to these places to help others there, or do we always manifest back on earth as humans? We may manifest in any other loka according to the karma that we perform, but uh, mom is a space cadet, and she gets to go visit all of those places that are in outer space. I don't. I keep coming back to this earth plane and saying how I can go from the bur, bua, shwa, maha, janaha, tapaha, satyam. Well, Ma goes to all these various planets and places and she can come back and report what she finds when she, gets, she comes back. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> We have a question from Chandana in Portland. Yes, Chandana, namaste. Should we offer our fears as part of the puja to Shiva, like offering flowers upon the altar? You can, but I want to give you the very, 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 very best that I can possibly give you. I want to give you all my love. I want to give you all my joy. I want to give you all my knowledge. I don't want to give you my fears. Hey, take them away if you want. <laughs> but I'm, I, I'm not going to sit there in front of God and think about what I'm afraid of. 
Oh God, take this away. I'm going to sit there and say what I am in love with. God, please, I'm, in, I'm privileged to share with you my best. And that's what I want you to have, the best. And if I keep thinking about the best things that I want to give to you, then he'll take the fears away. Automatically. I can't think about two things. I can't think about the positive and the negative at the same time. I can only think about the positive if I'm thinking about the positive, and the negative is automatically taken away. Yes, please. I have a question. Does, does Brahma come and grant boons to the Asuras so they'll stop doing tapasya? <laughs> well, as the fruit of their tapasya, everyone who does tapasya with sincerity and with attentiveness and with true devotion, they will get the boon that they seek. Brahma is required to give. Vishnu is required to give. Shiva is required to give to anyone who is a devotee, who is sincerely doing the sadhana. It doesn't matter their motivation. Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva don't think about the motivation of the individuals who are beseeching them. They think about the quality and intensity of their tapasya. So Brahma says, I, I'll give you whatever, whatever is within my capacity to give to you, I will give to you, do the tapasya. Now, if you choose to try to be immortal, you can't do it. You see, I mean, we've seen how many Asuras fall flat on their face. They can't get that boon. You take something else. So don't waste your time asking for things which have already been denied. Waste of time. Have your goal on the tip of your tongue. Because when you pray with sincere devotion, they are obligated to come to you and grant you the boon that you seek. Seek the right boons. Seek boons that won't get you into trouble. If you ask to be, give me all the powers and give me all the money and give me all the authority, they will give it to you until you dig yourself a hole deep enough to climb into you get yourself into so much trouble with so much power that you don't know how to use. Better to think about discriminating what boom would be appropriate for you. And I'll give you a couple of hints. You never get in trouble by asking for greater devotion. You never get in trouble by asking for shud, povitra, chirastai, vyakulata. Ananya Bhakti Om Sam Sarasvati Namaste. <laughs> <laughs>